0: I really adopted always a litigation lens and working it starting with legal and working it all backwards. So the ecosystem of risk requires that every department is involved to some extent, right? If I'm just a front-end person in CRM collecting the data at that point, I have to be careful to a certain degree because any mistakes potentially can be tied to liability.
1: Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Paola Saibene. Principal at Technion Data Solutions, former CISO, CEO, VP of Enterprise Risk Management, Data Privacy Officer, Strategy Officer, CTO, and CIO. Paola has, in short, held many leadership roles in many organizations. It is because of this diverse background that I brought her onto the show to talk about data governance. She brings a very unique perspective, no set of perspectives, to the challenge. Paola, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch.
0: Delighted to be here. Thank you.
2: Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford.
1: So normally this is the part of the show where I would ask the guests to briefly give me their background in cyber. Um, But I think in the case of this show, what's so interesting is your not cyber background. You've been a CEO and a CTO and a CIO and a CISO. And and I really wanna hear a little bit about all of that and how you feel like that ties into cyber.
0: Actually, that was only for the last 27 years. So prior to that, I had two other careers. I started in the humanities side, which was very helpful. Uh, To understand the psychology behind cyber issues, right? So when I began in technology, I literally started from the bottom, cabling in a data center. Okay, and then with those AS400 mainframes and and coding there as well. So I've I've worked really almost all levels of operation, and then I moved a few years later into the strategic initiatives. I worked for government as well as the private sector and nonprofit and education, which I consider a beast all to itself. (laughs) And uh, the lenses that I adopted came in to uh, tech already with a bit of a business lens and a humanities lens. I was a psychologist before and a literature professor. So I understood the user, right? That was my, my ticket. I understood the user and the pain they would go through in everything related to tech. And I was able to put that lens on. And as I entered the database administration and networking and security compliance, everything within compliance in those days, we just bundled up privacy and and security, et cetera. By the time I made it to the first CTO role, I had the sense that we needed to treat people as customers, that our security controls and practices needed to be such that they had to know the why. Knowing the why from the very beginning led our users to go a long way. Likewise, for these strategic initiatives as a CIO in large places, it wasn't being able to match truly the the concept of why we're innovating so much with a very bottom line a day in the life of the end user and how that would have to be transformed tactically and tangibly for them to be able to say oh I get it I know what you're doing that big thing the strategy officer, then, uh, so I did all of the very exciting pieces. I think as far as innovation and, and innovation was a big one. We, um, you know, we did the we had the very first government private cloud 19 years ago. Oh wow. And it came with the very first one. So people came actually to take pictures from several big companies that were our vendors. And we also, you know, we had virtual desktops in 60 languages also 19 years ago so that any one of our soldiers across the world could come in and log in and and get SQL training or get data center training or networking training through those virtual desktops. That's awesome. So we did exciting things. And then, of course, that, that uh, rubbed off on everything else that happened in my career later. I was, I have been a fan of Gardner for a long time. I adopted a lot of their maverick approaches and that was helpful. But always with a mindset since I also had to be the security officer mm-hmm. with a mindset of being obsessed with caring about the people inside the data. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's from a privacy perspective and also the assets of the enterprise, especially working in government. Um, so the multi-lens approach helped a lot by the time I took roles as VP of ERM, Enterprise Risk Management, as well as a data privacy officer, because now I could see how shackling it can be to innovation, to operations, to throw extra controls and all of these frameworks at them without blending them ever so well and balancing them to make them feel that they want to adopt it. So, in privacy, it was especially useful to have the business and innovation lens, as we had to implement GDPR and CCPA, right. et cetera, et cetera. So, I've been really blessed.
1: Right. This is well. This is this is awesome. You, you've had an amazing career and an amazing journey, and it ties into our conversation today, which is about data governance. And I guess with all that background and all that perspective, and and to your your point, you made about hey, this isn't data. This is information about people, right? Like like that's yeah. so important that we cherish that awareness and, and keep that in the forefront of our mind. But let's talk about the difference between data governance and data management with your model, because yes. I suspect there's a big difference there.
0: Big difference. <laughs> 15 years ago, not so much so. In fact, the frameworks that you would see back then were very much integrated. You still have the Data Governance Institute with its approach of data governance that looks a lot like like a hub to data management components, whether that is data architecture or metadata or quality or content or uh, access security. And as you go through that DAMA model, it is vetted, it is good, there's nothing wrong with it. But modern data governance requires a whole lot more, and that is understanding the connection to stewardship, the connection to ERM, the connection to legal to compliance, to innovation, to project management, to AI, to ML, to digital ethics. And all of that forms part of what a data governance program should contain, the ecosystem of governance.
1: So what are data ethics and how do they feed into cybersecurity?
0: Data ethics touches the lifecycle management of data, everything from capture all the way to disposition or uh, purging or archival, et cetera, final disposition. Along that journey, you have a lot of people that get to touch that data, transform it, use it, store it, et cetera. And they're not well versed in the purpose and the value of that data because they don't necessarily have visibility to the entire life cycle, much less, for instance, somebody in operations that is entering the data, how is it going to end up in a data science model or you know, analytics prescriptive analysis, right? Mm-hmm. so ethics has to do with um, making sure that everybody is aligning their habits because the word ethics actually is habits in Greek or customs
1: oh, that they're
0: aligning they're aligning their habits to what the ultimate destination and purpose is going to be of the data so even using something as simple as oecd principles and I'm talking about data that is normally related to to people less and less, important is the sensor data unless it comes back and it relates back to people. Because what cybersecurity then has the power to do, which cannot do without understanding the value of the data, is cyber will try to cover too much, will try to throw too much investment, it's too expensive to protect the data in a way that they deem according to the classification they see that it needs, Mm -hmm. whereas what can happen is that with the right subclassification of that data, then cyber can begin to put a risk management approach and check, of course, with the right parties, but maybe have degrees of how much effort they put into protecting those assets. Uh, So the ethics is, is an alignment of the customs or the habits and utilizing, in my opinion, utilizing FTC as well as a legal lens because the FTC will come back to you and ask you questions about what you have done with data. One of those components is security. Mm-hmm. And the lawyers, of course, are gonna come back asking for a defensible posture in all aspects of the life cycle of the data. And the ethics will naturally bubble up when they get to see gaps along the process along the way.
1: Okay. You bring up a point here that I want to hone in on a little bit, which is the cybersecurity practitioners kind of having like they start with a classification system and then impose controls based on that. And, and it's almost like they're stopping there and missing this whole bigger world of ethics and, to your point, this yeah. whole bigger risk perspective that may not be there simply by way of classification plus controls. So I'm thinking about risk frameworks like ISO 31000, COSO, etc. cetera. Like, what's the best methodology for applying those frameworks? Because If cybersecurity can be blind in how it does it, maybe the frameworks are there to help guide, but maybe they're being applied in a blind fashion, too. So how does that break down? ISO 31000, COSO, walk me through what that looks like.
0: From the board all the way down. So COSO normally is the is a principle based framework that is used by uh, boards, and then audit picks up from there. They use a version of COSO as well. The ISO 31000 is one of the more popular uh, risk management frameworks, and it includes everything: operation, finance, strategy, technology, etc. But it sets the tone for cybersecurity. If risk management produces their risks for the year and they place cyber at the top or cyber as number four or five, then you are maybe not getting your marching orders, but you're getting a sense of how important your investment in tools, of how the kinds of of people that you might be able to tap into, how much help are you going to get? What is your scope? Mm-hmm. So an alignment with risk, um, in addition to understanding your position that year for the organization, but an alignment with risk also tells you there might be severe concerns on the financial side, or them or partnerships that the board is considering. Uh, you can be proactive, and if those partnerships are coming up and they are revealed as high risk by uh, ERM or, or RM, then cybersecurity can begin to prepare mechanisms of mitigating uh, the potential operationalization of that partnership. So it's it's having alignment, alignment, alignment and feeding up as well, not just receiving orders down but feeding up into risk uh, and being able to educate them as to what is really happening in business terms and having them calibrate their assessment for the board based on that so that it is one well aligned report. What normally happens in the absence of that, is that risk declares non-cyber, non-technical risk, and there comes cyber on the side and IT declaring theirs. And then now the board hears, okay, I have two big pools of problems. I can only focus on one or one and a half, so something's got to give. Right. And that is not the most intelligent way of approaching it.
1: Yeah, and I've even seen in bigger organizations where the ERM and the cyber risk pools, as you describe them, Hit the table and disagree in places. That's right. Where erm is like, oh, this not this isn't a big risk at all, and cyber comes in going, no, 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 this is the biggest risk in the world because it's on this unpatched server and da 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 da. You can't have that. And and, and now the board doesn't know what they're doing there either. Like, how do how do I possibly respond to contradictory? Never go before the board with contradictory evidence, right? Like, exactly. And, and I guess your your strategy here with these framework alignments is, is exactly preventing that problem too, right?
0: Control by control. So just the beauty of having controls in all of these frameworks is you can deconstruct them and begin to align them. Just recently, we were helping a client get the ITG, the, the COBIT, as well as ISO uh, 38500, and just matching it to data governance controls. and see which ones. So so a subset now is completely integrated, and you can do the same thing with privacy and with risk, et cetera. I
1: I love that. All right, let's get into the more technical details here a little bit. I'm thinking about structured metadata, and I'm thinking about how if we've got this tiered nesting of frameworks, and we've got ISO 31000 here, we've got COSO here, and we've got this alignment, and ERM and cyber are talking to each other now. What is the role of structured metadata in all of that to help to help keep that alignment in place, right? Can't that help too?
0: It does. That's at the core of it because now you can report in unison. So normally metadata is captured in simple terms like definition or format of the data. Very, very basic. That is the representational aspect of the data and some semantics. But what is not normally captured that is super useful is the context. So Mm. if this is data that is going to end up in key reports, you know, 10 layers above, then all of a sudden they belong to decision-making processes. And now the importance of that data, they're mapped to certain risks, they're mapped to certain issues with privacy, with security, and that can be just entered into the metadata. So that if you have a good catalog, for instance, a platform ML-based catalog, you can simply query on the data that is associated with certain um, ISO 31,000 risk control. Everything okay. is data, right? right? If you have issues with uh, privacy in a particular country or a particular state, let's say, different regulations, now you can also start tagging your data in such a way that you know what is within this system, what's the, the quantity of data, what is how much of this relates to our risk and our controls that, that we have a gap of, that we have fulfillment of. How is right. it governed? It's especially useful with ransomware. Because the board asks one question, what is the real loss here? I get it. There is data in systems, and it sounds like it's really important, but what's the monetary value of that? Right. And when you have the metadata ranking these data sets, now you can give a much better answer.
1: So you're ranking not just on contextual, like I, when you say context, you're, you're you're blowing that out to everything. It's data that contains information about a citizen of California, maybe, we'll say or it's data that's going to be used in Texas, or it's data that is going to be advertised all the way up to the board level reporting that's generated that's right. from a smaller financial team and works its way up the food chain. Like, that's right. All of that contextual information helps you to put a value on the data.
0: And also the dimensions of quality. Some data is only being treated for maybe two or three dimensions. Other kinds of data need about nine dimensions of quality when it's that important. So that's when you throw in more effort and time, and and that that uh, quality aspect allows you then to be able to, if you wanted to share with partners with the appropriate clauses or develop your own marketplace inside of the company for that data, etc. It has a lot of possibilities. So the right. effort is not wasted.
1: Yeah, I'm sitting here picturing a dynamic set of structured metadata fields where some of them may not be populated, all of them might be populated in some cases. that's right. It's daunting. And I can see where you're saying ML is, uh, is your friend here. Yes. Let's pause right there and hear a brief word from our sponsor.
2: Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized Cyber Asset Attack Surface Management, Chasm, as a category in their Hype Cycle for Network Security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Axonius and give your teams time back to work on the high-value cyber initiatives they were trained to do.
1: So how about stepping back and looking at the big picture? A holistic ecosystem of risk. What is that in the context of this kind of data, in the, in the context of this kind of metadata, in the context of where the data might get used and how it might flow and what value it really has? We're talking about a holistic ecosystem of risk. And I'm asking you, too, to wear all those lenses that you've got. And I know that's a very big question, but give me your best shot.
0: I think I changed my opinion over the years, and that is after working with legal. Mm -hmm. So after working very tightly with them, I really adopted always a litigation lens and working it starting with legal and working it all backwards. So the ecosystem of risk requires that every department is involved to some extent, right? If I'm just a front-end person in CRM collecting the data at that point, I have to be careful to a certain degree because... (laughs) Any mistakes potentially can be tied to liability. If I'm in cyber, I'm going to be asked about the soundness of the frameworks and how much is it reasonable, etc. How is it defensible against the law? But overall, industry, sector sensitivity from the board on certain issues, getting a very fair legal profile is important. Now, getting a legal profile is not easy, and most lawyers will not write it down. Right. Because that means saying, well, you worry about this, but don't worry about that, right? That's not something that you, you're you going to have written down. But you do get a sense from conversations with them as to what they can focus on. And some things, they just you know, they've got to let go. They just don't have enough lawyers in the organization to take care of absolutely everything. So matching that, what are those things? And harmonizing that all the way down so that you can put, it's the opposite of the valuation of the mid-attack, so that you can put the right amount of effort that will be valued by all the parties, because what happens is the privacy comes knocking down the door with ROPAs or with other or DPIAs, and people are saying, well, you know, we have like very few customers in Europe, or, or right, I right? we only make five million a year in that country in Europe, and what are you doing, bothering us? So they don't see it as valuable. Right. And that is because everybody's looking at it from their business perspective
1: right. or
0: their technical perspective. Somebody has to be the conductor. And yep. the conductor, even though the lawyers don't see themselves as that at all, they say, well, that's just data and tech, But you can glean from their position, their posture, and then work it backwards, and nobody's going to say, "Well, I don't care what the legal counsel says that's
1: that's interesting. You put that lens first because I you know, I had an epiphany at one point in my cyber career. I was dealing with legal all the time. Obviously, by the time I was a CISO, I was well familiar with with you know dealing with general counsel and various members of the legal team. And I reached a point relatively early on in my cyber career where I realized these guys are advisors, and I don't have to take their advice. They've got an opinion coming through their lens from their perspective. That's and right. so it's interesting that you're grabbing – the legal lens and saying this is the one we're going to use as the primary and drive it all through there because I wonder how much of the rest of the business has that same well I don't have to take that advice kind of mindset with it.
0: It is true, but I think that they probably hold the biggest hammer out of all. Um, when the legal counsel says something has to be done, I've never been in an organization with said no, I'm not going to do that.
1: Right. They'll do right. The legal reluctantly, but their they foot will. down. Right. Yeah. 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 I get that. I get that. <laughs> Okay. So the various C-suite roles then all have, with regards to this whole data governance challenge, they've all got their own pain points, right? Um, Walk me through a little bit about CEO, CFO, general counsel, you know, CISO, CIO. Everybody's got their different pain point and we've got to come up with a solution that solves everyone's pain. So kind of walk me through like, what are the pain points and how are we solving it with this governance model?
0: Yeah, on the CIO side, I think that visibility is definitely for and the CIO and CTO, all of those shadow IT things mm-hmm. that that are going on, right? So, not just applications, but data in those applications, and how are you going to really have a strategy that is? Um, not going to be surprised or or torpedoed uh, a year later or six months later by all these data sets that you had no idea that existed out there because they're not confessing them, declaring. So governance is a way of, and you can, there are many names, you can say data maturity, you can just, you can call it whatever because their governance sounds so dry. But through governance and asking all of the, right business questions, you can begin to at least create the habit on the part of the users of data at whatever level to come to the same pool and declare and tell the story. So when they come and tell the story about the data, somebody will say, wait, wait, wait. why are you using that data for making these decisions? You're supposed to be using something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that was a struggle that, that early on, it, it was um, attempted to be overcome just in the, in the without tools, and it requires tools. It requires platforms for people to come and social uh, socialize the data, democratize the data, work in a social collaboration kind of place. As a data privacy officer, you are obsessed with governance comes in with a journey. So you want lineage. Mm -hmm. lineage is your number one right and wow it's not that easy to get that lineage also without good tools right and lineage also is you have to start having the analyst declare how they're going to use that if it's just obfuscated, right? right? If it's not anonymized, oh, we'll just put, (laughs) we'll just mask it a little bit. Well, that doesn't quite count. (laughs) You're joining it to 30 other data sets and making decisions on it. And it's crossing borders. So lineage is a big deal. As enterprise risk management officer, I think that the biggest asset that governance can bring is that certainty and assurance that at least a lot of eyes are on it. And Mm -hmm. if too few eyes are on the data, then you begin to get a sense that I don't even know if the retention schedule for that is actually valid or being honored, right? Right. You don't trust it as much. And then from uh, just from a CEO perspective, from a more holistic package is that integrity, that integrity of the data. What is that level of trust and governance? Yes, policies and procedures. But policies and procedures in place doesn't mean people are following the policies and the procedures in place. They need to really understand. The, the example I always like to give is there's somebody that catches the fish or somebody that goes to the pier and buys the fish fresh, but then you don't know whether it ends up in a vitamin or in fish powder or in a restaurant. Right. Right. So there's got to be that that communication back and forth, no matter which role you're in, that tells a story. Oh, this one is just meant for fish powder. You don't have to take care of it that much. But this one is going to end up whole on a plate in a fancy restaurant. So I've got to make sure that the shape and the size and everything is is uh, well done.
1: That's a great metaphor, actually. You've covered it, I think. Um, and we already talked about general counsel, actually, in the earlier question. So I think I think we've, we've got a lock on those perspectives. That's really fascinating. So here's where it gets twisty for me, because you, you mentioned ethics and talk about the Greek roots of the word and the fact that it's actually habits and behaviors, right? Yes. As we go through this entire data governance and data management and data maturity journey and all these various things that all roll up to— we'll, we'll stick with the word governance. We've been using it so far. As it all rolls up to good data governance— We also have the fact that monetization of data is on the table. Gartner has predicted that 65% of organizations are going to monetize their data by 2023. Now we're talking about ethics and habits on a really big scale. So what's the implications there?
0: That's right. Huge. So monetization is a word that also covers just – for intrinsic purposes, you can uh, create efficiencies within the organization That is still under the umbrella of monetization. But a lot of folks are going to data marts and selling data. Individuals are selling their own data in data marts. Uh, With a fascinating aspect of uh, data monetization is that I think that there was a a whole lot more concern about doing this right and having properly governed data, properly curated uh, quality control on the data Two, three years ago, what I see today in the data marketplaces is that there are systems that claim that they will do that for you, that will clean it up, that will just do some very basic meta tags, uh, meta tagging on it and formatting, etc. There are organizations that under the name of research was a huge umbrella, or uh, public interest, or public need, public safety. Um, there's a lot of data sharing.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe
0: they're not exchanging money along the way, but they're definitely sharing aggressively. I don't see a whole lot of care in, just in very simple terms. What are the decisions that are going to be made on the individuals inside of those data sets? How will their lives change as a result of that? It's not just for marketing purposes or to offer you better products, but it could easily end up, it does, in making decisions about how much you can get in certain industries or how far you can go. And that becomes dangerous. So the education A heavy education on the life cycle management and on the purpose limitations and on consent, very basic things, go far in making people say, hmm, monetization, I'm not quite sure. And if you get a lawyer to become very well-versed in the different buckets of monetization and how um, it deconstructs at a level where uh, they're going to need to be responding for this then also they can put a lot of checks and balances along the way if they're not brought in at the tail end with assurances that look good on people they're brought in through the process Uh, i think that gardner is correct that the trend is heavy on monetizations but we as consumers of a lot of this we as those that are um Having a voice on on what we do with data can definitely um, create momentum that makes you will be a whole lot more careful.
1: I like that. I have one last question I ask every guest on the show. And it's interesting because normally the question is, what have you learned outside of cyber that has helped you in cyber? That's the question. But in your case, I'm sitting here thinking this entire show is stuff you've learned outside of cyber that is helping you in cyber. So hopefully you can, from all of this and all these perspectives, again, CEO, Chief Privacy Officer, CTO, CISO, CIO, I'm hoping you can pick your favorite. And you mentioned the legal lens as well. Hopefully somewhere in all of that is your one favorite fact. What did you learn outside of cybersecurity that helps you in cybersecurity?
0: (laughs) People need to understand why it is important. And they need to have That all of that effort is actually going to be helpful. So I learned that telling stories about those that are very affected um, actually inspires people to be careful altruistically over somebody else's records. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned that bringing the world in to uh, the controls and not having them just as controls that get interpreted or get applied and get audited, but having them as, let's follow what happens to people along these records. And then all of a sudden it's a very different picture because then that's your mom, your dad, your uncle, your neighbor, that they're traveling through that data. They're traversing through that data and you are applying controls in a way that, is now you're much more careful. Now you're not putting everybody in a group in your AD. right? Now right. you're just parsing it a bit more and you're asking more questions. Are you sure you should have access to this or that? And know you're in the same department, but that doesn't mean you need to see all of that. Right. So slowly but surely from the bottom up, I think that you can have a gigantic impact by uh, humanizing cyber.
1: Oh, what a brilliant answer. I love that. I love that so much. Well, Paola Saibene, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now.